I'm going to begin reading in verse 22 of this ninth chapter of Joshua, and I'll read down through the end of the chapter. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you, when ye dwell among us? Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen, and hewers of wood, and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in thine hand as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do. And so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, and drawers of water for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. Now those last verses of the chapter do not give us the entire picture, but Joshua was speaking to the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites just lived down the road a ways from where Joshua and the children of Israel were encamped, and fear came on them. And they concocted a story, and dramatically they acted it out, and convinced Joshua and his people that they had come from afar. And Joshua and his people swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. You talk about failure. This was a great failure in Israel's history. Joshua didn't pray. The people didn't pray. And they made a league with these Gibeonites. And because of the league or the covenant, they couldn't destroy them like they could other Canaanites. And so here they are stuck with them. What are they going to do with them? To me, it is a picture of failure. And with the Lord's help for a few minutes tonight, I want to use another mysterious ministry. The ministry of failure. Now before we approach this subject, could I ask you, are your failures ruling your life Or by the grace of God, are you ruling your failures? It's a difficult task. Only God can help us do it. But as Joshua made these Gibeonites, hewers of wood and drawers of water, 
God can help us to even benefit from our failures. Now the word fail is found 64 times in the Bible. The word faileth is found 19 times. The word failed, past tense, is used 12 times. The word failing is used two times. Just a little less than a hundred times we're confronted with the idea of failure by that term. But most of these occurrences are related to the fact that God has promised that He will never fail. He will never come short of His promises. The word actually means to lose strength or to weaken. Uh, others have rendered, rendered it to fade away or to fall short. I think I identify with that last definition the best. How many times have I fallen short? I have failed. In my weakness, in my deficiency, in my inadequacy, I have been a failure. I've, I feel like I've not only failed others, but I have failed my own self. I've had better expectations for myself than what I have come up to on occasions. But thank God, good things can come out of failure. And that's my burden tonight. To encourage someone to benefit from, to learn from, and to advance beyond your failure. I was in a service some time ago. Forgive my uh, my sick humor, but I I really felt like it was more of a professional service than a worship service. Number one, the choir director was totally professional. He didn't miss one beat. He didn't fail in any area. He was professional. The musicians, when they took up the offering, it sounded like something on a, a recording. They were professional. And then that night, they had invited a quartet from the area, which you can guess, they were professional. And then the pastor introduced me. And I came up in my little dragging fashion and I didn't tell them, but I felt like saying I am out of place. The only thing professional about me is I am a professional failure. Now we don't like to admit that. We'd rather <laughs> cock our head and <laughs> smile from ear to ear and People say, how are you doing? We'd rather say, great, great, good to see you, great. When right then we're hanging on by a thread. <laughs> but I feel that Satan has often taken my failures and beaten me down and hindered me 
from being what I should be for the glory of God. Do you feel that way? I do not want to be a casualty because of failure. I want to be an overcomer. And in Christ we can be overcomers. More than conquerors. So let's look at this story in Joshua chapter 9. And I'd like to point to your attention or call to your attention several particulars in this account that helps us understand failure. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 1, the scene of failure. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. The scene is not Egypt. The scene is not the wilderness. The scene of failure is not in Joshua chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 5, or chapter 7. All those are great chapters. But the scene is in chapter 9 inside the Canaan land. They've crossed the Jordan. They've come into the land. They've overcome two strong cities, Jericho and Ai. Ai, after they had failed because uh, Achan had taken of the accursed thing. But once that was purged, God gave them a miraculous victory over Ai. And then they turn right around and fail in relationship to the Gibeonites. Now I'm just going to mention two brief thoughts and pass on from these early verses. Let me say the scene of failure was a scene after coming into the Canaan land. Now the Canaan land speaks of victorious Christianity. The Jordan speaks of death to self, which leads us to a point of victory. In fact, to me, when I come to the book of Joshua, the first verse that comes to my mind is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. The children of Israel have experienced this, this goal that has been theirs for, for years. They've come across the Jordan. They're in the land. Don't ever believe that you can't fail after you've even entered into the land of victory. Often, that is the scene of failure. After coming into the land, I might add, not only after coming into the land, but after conquering in the land. Boy, 
These kings are all coming together because of what God has already done for the children of Israel. They have made progress. They have cast down strongholds. And God has brought them a long way. May I say sometimes after you feel you've prayed your best or taught your best class or preached your best sermon or experienced the best of God's presence and walked in the Spirit and in the right paths, it's possible to fail. That's the scene of failure. Don't bring me any of these silly ideas. Well, <laughs> I've learned my lesson and I, you don't have to worry about me. You're the very one we're worried about. With that kind of attitude, we must realize that at our best, there are possibilities of utter failure. I would underline secondly, using the Gibeonites, uh, their procedure or procedures, I would say something secondly about the strategy of failure. Now unfortunately, failure does not come to your door with a neon sign saying, you're next. Uh, no, uh, there's no advertisement for its clients. Uh, it slips in the side door, so to speak. And uh, none of us have ever failed on purpose. I, I don't recall ever saying, well, I, I've come tonight to make my big blunder. I don't believe that's our intention. But we're often brought to failure because of the strategy. Well, what was the strategy of the Gibeonites? Let's begin in verse number 2. Uh, well, let's begin in verse number 3. We've been introduced to them. And I want you to notice firstly their strategy, which is a picture of how failure uh, assaults us. It was a strategy of deception. Verse 4 said they did work wilily. Now, you remember Paul talked about the wiles of the devil. I love the story about the preacher who had a little reading problem anyhow and he couldn't pronounce it properly and he said Paul said that we're to stand against the willies of the devil. Well I'm sure the devil has some willies but the word is wiles, deceptions, uh, deceptive strategies and so they did work wilily. And went, listen now, and made as if they had been ambassadors. And took old sacks upon their asses or their donkeys and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouted or patched upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of the provision was dry and moldy. Now, this is pretentious. They are being very hypocritical. They just live down the road, over the ridge. But they have dressed, and they have 
brought food and they, they have put on shoes that make, make it look like they've been traveling for months just to get to Joshua and his people and get shelter under the wings of God's protection. It was a deceptive strategy. Uh, they, they are masker, masters at deception. They, they are dramatizing their own hypocrisy. I think we've all experienced this. And later we would say, how in this world did I not see that? How, how did I not catch that? But it was the deceptive strategy of failure. I know my wife and I are not much on scaring each other. We have done it several times. But I've always been hesitant. One time I got too bold. And we were at a motel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I, I sent her up by the elevator. Told her I would get some other stuff out. And then I ran up the steps and beat her to the room. And I'd already taken up a couple of bags. I quickly took a pair of her hose and pulled, pulled it down over my head and waited for her to open the door. And as she did, uh, she thought it was the end. And after she realized it was me, I thought it was the end. At any rate, I'm not a good deceiver. I always feel like it's going to come back on me somehow. Uh, I'll never forget on another occasion, uh, she's scaring me. and When I get scared, I jump up. I don't know why that's my response, but I come off the floor. And uh, she thought that was very funny. I thought it was... Very cruel, but I was getting, she was getting even, you know. But I want to tell you, strategy sometimes puts on uh, a covering. It puts something over its head. And, and before we realize what has happened, Satan has used our failures to mock us. There we are. Looking at failure and feeling our own insignificance. That's the strategy. Deception. Deception. Uh, there's another facet of a strategy here. It's just the failure strategy is that of determination. When we come to verse number five, uh, they, they have put on old shoes. And uh, patch their feet. They put on old garments. Their bread is dry and moldy. Listen, they they are purposefully going all out to deceive Joshua. They're determined. And I believe on some occasions, failure has been a daredevil, as it were. And, and purpose, determined that I would be deceived. And so there's the scene of failure. It could be the scene of victory. After great victories, failure 
sometimes is experienced. The strategy of failure, the very people you wouldn't think would be deceived often can be deceived by failure. And uh, then in verses 6 through 13, we have what I'm calling the story of failure. Boy, failure can paint such a vivid picture and set the stage so meticulously and fix the environment uh, in, in such a convincing way that the story seems to overwhelm you. It may happen on the job, your failure. It may happen in the home. It may happen at church. It may happen in the community. And I'm aware that all of us have different personalities. But failure has its story. Oh, hear, hear it as they begin to tell Brother Josh all about it. Verse 6. We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure you dwell among us. What if you're just from down the road, in other words? How shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, from a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us saying, Take victuals with you for the journey and go to meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Then they give the punchline again. Therefore now make you a league with us. Verse 12 gives us a little further emphasis. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. Uh, I, 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 that's one part of the story I can't hardly grasp. Uh, who's going to keep hot bread wrapped up? If they brought it hot out of the oven, let's have, let's have bread. Let's break bread. We all like warm bread. No, they kept it until it was dry and moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. Behold, they be rent, and these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. The story failure gives is usually a big story. I don't know if I feel that I've ever failed in a little fashion. By the time... By the time I resurvey it and look it over again, it seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there I am. I, you know, you go to church and you say as you go in, boy, I hope they don't call on me to pray tonight. I'll tell you, I hope with the choir don't sing. I just, I'm not up to it. And, uh, 
Well, that's bad enough, but what, what if your words are, Oh, I wish I didn't have to preach tonight. <laughs> it works that way too, you know. Uh, a failure brings a big story. May I add, the story failure tells as set forth by the Gibeonites is not only a big story, it's a believable story. I think one of our biggest mistakes is when we count, we can't counsel. We, we listen to, we, we sort of cater to what our failures are saying to us. It's believable. They said, make a league with us. Their story was so big, it was believable. And Joshua and the people made a league with them because it was so believable. Now, don't, don't lose hope. I'm, I'm building us a little foundation to operate on here. If you're not careful, you'll get in such a fix with your failures that they never will leave. They'll camp out on your door every day of your life. You'll get up with them and go to bed with them. And Joshua so believed the Gibeonites, he made a league with them, a compact, an agreement, a covenant. Come with me now to verses 14 through 18. I want you to notice if failure ever gets the door open, comes on in. In fact, on a few on a few occasions I've said, Why come right on in? I didn't know you was coming this morning. Come right on in. And then wonder why I was so defeated all day long. And uh, uh, here we read in verse fourteen, and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. They didn't pray, they didn't seek God about it. Verse 15, and Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Verse 16, and it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among uh oh. And the children of Israel journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Chephira and Beeroth and Kerjeth Jerem. And the children of Israel smote them not. Why? Because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. For just a minute, let me mention fourthly, not only are we confronted with the scene of failure, sometimes a scene of victory and triumph, and the strategy of failure, very deceptive failure approaches us. The story of failure is a very uh, large and acceptable word. You make a league with it. You sort of make an agreement with it. I won't bother you if you won't bother me. We'll just try to get along. I know, I admit, I messed up. 
I, I, I'm not going to push the matter. I'm not. I would mention fourthly then the security of failure. Oh man, these Gibeonites have not only made a league; they've not only told a story that was believable, but but they have a covenant now, a, a league with Joshua and the people. And guess what they end up doing? Moving in with them. They were here three days, according to verse 16, before the Word got out. They've moved in. Why didn't they just get some fresh bread, some new shoes, and some better clothes, and head back home? They had their league. Oh no. Failure wants to move in with you. Failure wants to eat at your table. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. Failure wants to sleep with you. Failure wants to be buddies. Failure wants to wear your clothes and wear your shoes and enjoy the blessings of your life while you have to put up with it. Failure likes to move in on. Uh, any of you had failure to join you for a meal lately? Uh, failure might even lead you in prayer of thanks over the food if you'll answer. Uh, here's my thought. Failure will eat your lunch. You see, it not only moves in on you, it mooches off of you. Brother. Now, you got to forgive me. The way I was brought up and a work ethic being instilled in me early, these moochers get on my nerves. I want to say, get you a job. There's plenty of them available. I'm getting response out of some of y'all I hadn't even got response out of previously. That's just the way I feel. Uh, I've tried to work on it and try not to get too bitter towards people. But I I think you ought to, if you're going to eat, I think you ought to have to work. How about uh, uh, say something about failure? That wants to take advantage of you. Let me give you a little story from the church world. A friend of mine had a very large camp meeting. And uh, he had room for some campers. If you wanted to bring your camper, you could hook up for the week. He didn't know, however, that this one family wanted to stay. After the meeting was over, they stayed one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, two months. And it was getting a little cooler at night, a little colder weather. And they moved into the third month. And finally, he had to tell them, I'm going to have to turn the power off for the winter. 
to get them to go on down the road. They're mooching off of them. Taking advantage of the church. But I'll tell you, that's nothing that some of us aren't used to. Failure does it to some of us every day. And, and instead of us telling them, go on down the road, we'll say, well, I, I tell you what, I, I'll buy you lunch today if you... You'll back off just a little bit. But I, I promise, I, I'll try I'll try not to be rough on you if you won't be rough on me. What happens eventually is the guest becomes the host. And Joshua and the children of Israel are having to bow down to them instead of them bowing down to Joshua and the people. Failure doesn't want to be your servant. Failure wants to be your Lord. And if you're not careful, you'll dress it, you'll feed it, you'll cater to it just to try to give a truce or to be faithful to your league instead of taking over in the name of the Lord Jesus and claiming what's yours in the Canaan land. There's the scene of failure after great victories. There's the strategy of failure. They came wilily, deceptively. There's the story of failure. Oh, it's big and it's believable. There's the security of failure. They got their foot in the door. The Gibeonites how? And if you ever make room for it, it feels like it's got to stay. And you feel like you're intruding on it instead of it intruding on you. I want you to think with me along one other line. I want to mention, fifthly, the scourge of failure. You've already sensed this in the message. But this thing of the Gibeonites coming into the camp and moving into other people's tents, sleeping in other people's beds, wearing other people's clothes, eating other people's food, the people got sick of it. They got tired of it. I would say firstly, according to verse number 8, the people first got sick of it. Then... Uh, that's verse 18. Then according to verses 19, 20, and 21, the princes got tired of it. we got to do something. We can't kill them. Uh, we, we, we can't hurt them. Maybe we could give them certain jobs around it. Now why did they say all that? Because the word got out that they really weren't from afar off. I, I've tried to imagine how it happened. I, I, the Bible doesn't tell us. But I wonder one night, while they're watching television in tent number five, <laughs> and eating little Debbie cakes, <laughs> and drinking iced tea, If one of them didn't get tickled, <laughs> I can't believe they fell for it. <laughs> and somebody in tent number six heard it. So what y'all, what's so funny over here? What y'all laughing about? It's awful late. 
Well, we can sleep in in the morning. <laughs> Here they go again. And the people said, listen, I'm sick of this. We've got to get rid of these skunks. And the princes, they went to the princes, and the princes said, well, we, we really, we're not to blame. Joshua's the one that, that, that let them make a leak. And so they came to Joshua. I'm saying they became, that the Gibeonites became a scourge to the people and to the princes. They got to where they despised it. And I want to say, if you ever reach that point, you're getting ready to make some progress. If you're willing to live with it, if you're willing to feed it, if you're willing to clothe it and pamper it, and say it's good to see you this morning, how would you like your eggs? And would you like toast or biscuits? Would you like bacon or sausage? If you're going to pamper your failures week after week after week, I don't have much hope for you. You'll probably live under that cloud until they bury you beneath the cloud. I want to tell you, if you get sick of it, if you, if, if you get tired of it, everywhere you look, there's Gibeonites, there's Pharaoh. Oh, boy, it's getting that. Something's going to have to be done. Oh, God, help me. Hey, you're making progress. Now you can lay down and say, I failed. Oh, I failed. Won't y'all pray for me? I'm one of the biggest failures in our church. Won't y'all pray for me? You can operate there! Or you can cry out to God for mercy and help in spite of your face. Joshua and the princess talked, and in verse number 22, We have what I'm calling the submission of failure. Joshua said, tell the Gibeonites to come over here in my tent. And they did. So they submitted. Verse 22, Joshua said, Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying, we are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now, this is a simple little thought, and I hope it doesn't sound like just a power positive thinking or, or cheap psychology. But I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, our failures have to be faced. Quit feeding them. Quit favoring them. Go ahead and face them. And say, you deceived us. Why did you deceive us? You told us you were from afar and you're just from over the ridge. I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to face your failures? Or are you going to keep feeding it? Favoring. Every time you see so and so, every time you go to a certain place, every time you are you going to keep feeding and say, "I know, I it's good to see." You. Yes, good. Or are you tired of it? Are you sick of it? 
And you bring about this thing of submission because you faced them head on. I'm a failure. I failed. I've come short. I'm weak. I've been deficient. May the Holy Ghost help us to face our failures. And then secondly, in verse number 23, Joshua not only faced the Gibeonites, he fashioned them. Ah, instead of them fashioning him and making him look like a fool, he fashioned them. He said in verse 24, or verse 23, Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And you know what they said in verse 24? Well, we did it because we heard of you and we were afraid of our lives. Verse 25, and now we're in your hand. You do whatever you think's right. Hey, instead of the Gibeonites running the camp, Joshua's back where he's supposed to be. The people are back where they're supposed to be. The princes are back where they're supposed to be. He faced them and he fashioned them. Quit feeding your failures. Go ahead and give them something else to do. Which brings me to my last emphasis tonight in verse number 24. And, and on down through the end of the verses. They said in verse 26, for instance, it says, And so did he unto them, delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. The people ready to kill them. And Joshua made them that day, here it is now, hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord even unto this day in the place which he should choose. They didn't even get to choose their job. They were told what they had to do. I want to call this the service of failure. Now the title of my sermon may have sounded a, a bit confusing. But the basic idea is that God wants to take our failures and minister to us through them instead of letting them master us. And in the end, Joshua's failures chopped their wood and hauled their water while they kept on serving God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to chop wood. And I don't like to haul water. A couple of times on the hill where we live, our water has frozen up in the winter time. I do not like to haul water. And I got out of the wood chopping business some years ago. Everybody made fun of me anyhow because I use an axe left handed instead of right. But here, Joshua takes his failures. And they chop his wood and keep him warm and haul his water and keep him refreshed. 
while he worships God and works for God, his failures are put to work and they have to chop and haul, chop and haul, haul and chop. The service of failure. I believe God's able to take our biggest blunders, some of the most stupid things we've ever done, He's able to turn it around, make them chop our wood and haul our water. And we can go on with God. We can go on with God. My first grade teacher's name was Miss West. Please don't take it wrong. I've got enough folks in that line. But I never had figured out why they would get an older woman who'd never had children to teach a first grade full of little children. She about pulled my hair out. My wife told me the other day, she says, get a little thinner, get a little thinner. I said, Miss West. She knew what I was talking about because she was her first grade teacher too. But on Mother's Day, Father's Day, Easter, Christmas, special days, Miss West became very sentimental. In the first grade, she said to us, right before Mother's Day weekend, she said, now next week, I want you to bring all your broken colors for you younger children, that's Crayolas. Crayons. But back in those days, there was just colors. And, uh, well, I had a bunch of broken colors. And so I got them all together and slipped them out of house. Mama didn't know I brought them. That was the orders Miss West gave us. She said, we're going to make something nice for your mothers, for Mother's Day. And so on Monday of that next week, she started gathering all our crayons. She she put the reds in a pile, the blues in a pile, and the yellows in a pile, the green and the orange. We didn't know what she was doing. She did. And she said, now I have gone over to the high school and I've got a little burner. And I brought a pot from home and we're going to melt all the blue colors. And she said, in the closet, I have a little glass with a wick in it for every student. And she said, today we're going to pour in blue this morning. Then I'm going to melt some red this afternoon. We're going to pour in red on top of the blue. And all week long, she poured in a little bit more of that color. And on Friday afternoon, she broke the glass while we were out to recess and put on each of our desks a beautiful little rainbow candle for us to take home to our mothers on Mother's Day. I tell you, I'm so proud of that. I told my mom, we made this out of my own broken colors. Some of you jumped ahead of me. There's a lot of old ugly places. In that box where we keep our colors. Some of them 
don't look usable. Some of them should have probably already been thrown away. But I want to tell you, if you'll somehow turn over all those broken colors, those failures, turn them over to God, He'd make something beautiful out of your failures. Something that'll benefit somebody else. Something that'll be a blessing to others. The ministry of faith. You've been so kind. Would you stand with me, please?